You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Nick Lowry had a stellar 18-year career in the NFL as a kicker. He signed in 1978 with the New England Patriots out of Dartmouth, but he played in just two games. After getting cut by seven different teams, he was signed by the Kansas City Chiefs prior to the 1980 season, and he spent the next 14 seasons with the Chiefs. He played his final three years with the New York Jets before retiring as the all-time most accurate kicker in NFL history. Nick led, led the NFL in accuracy three different times and the longest field goal made four times and the most field goals and most attempted once each connected on 98.8% of his extra point attempts and was perfect 12 different seasons, including five years in a row in the mid 1980. Today he's a very successful public speaker and he's got another business that he's gonna talk about. Nick, welcome to Sports Connections. <laughs> I'm glad we connected, David. Yes, me too, me too. Uh, just talk about your background. Did you play other sports besides football? Oh yeah, I, I I loved all all sorts of sports. I actually played a lot of soccer when we, we lived in England. My dad was literally when I only found out when he died. My dad was chief of station, literally chief of station, the American M, if you will, for the CIA, working with British intelligence. And so I was playing soccer the year that England won, hosted, and won the World Cup way back in 1966. Played a little rugby, played cricket, played a lot of basketball baseball i was a pitcher in college i was uh volley uh, excuse me var- varsity soccer basketball football and um and baseball mvp of my baseball team my last two years we were league champion and i, and I did pretty well in, in baseball my freshman year at dartmouth but it was time to move on and focus on kicking and i'm glad i did but i think one thing david i'd love to encourage kids uh with this movement this sort of professionalization of club sports where kids are getting very early on in their lives repetitive injuries because they're only focusing on one sport and to me uh, you know development not just in education but educating your body by giving it lots of references for instance soccer obviously your feet your lower level of balance in particular basketball upper level tennis more upper level you know things that give you references to your hands your feet your balance so I think those things make you a better athlete. I know they help me as a kicker as well. Now, spending a lot of time in D.C. with your parents who had uh, different U.S. government jobs, you were surrounded by government and politics. Did you ever consider running for public office? <laughs> well, um, I, I thought about it. I actually gave up a job working, I, uh, and it was actually eight teams I was rejected by, and the, and the ninth team and the 12th chance with Kansas City. But I actually gave up a job working on as a permanent staff on the Senate Committee on Indian Affairs, excuse me, on uh, Commerce, Science and Transportation for Senator Bob Packwood to try one last time. And thank God I did with the Chiefs. They gave me a big twenty five hundred dollar bonus. And I worked um, I worked about half my off seasons back in Washington. And to be honest with you, over the last 25 years, uh, we, it's just ironic that the Supreme Court justices that lived in our Scalia, who wrote the opinion on Citizens United, which I think is probably the worst decision in the history of our country, 
because what it's done is it's allowed ridiculous amounts of, of anonymous money into government. So running for office today, as I've learned from people like my classmate, Evan Bayh, who was the runner-up to Biden for vice president under, under Obama, running for office is really surrendering to a career of being a prisoner to raising money. Evan Bayh would talk about it. Everybody talks about it now, where you literally have to raise to run for Congress $25,000 a day, every day for like three years just to run. And, and so congressmen and people, politicians spend all their time on the phone begging for money, not being leaders, not in developing policy, not connecting to their voters and their constituents. So I, I definitely um, feel like I'm a JFK Democrat, a Clinton Democrat, uh, which don't exist anymore right now. And I, I believe in the system really, frankly, that is much more about serving people. I don't believe in the party system anymore for that reason, that they're just, they're basically drug lords of money in the process. And they dictate to congressmen and senators what they are to do. And so it's really hard to lead in that environment. So I, I love uh, what uh, in this environment with media being so pervasive and social media, um, everybody jokes about the Kardashians, but it's it's a truth that people that are outside the governmental process can sometimes lead more effectively. I mean, we don't see a lot of effective leadership at any level in government right now. So it's a long answer for you, but I just love being able to put a human face on the homeless here in Phoenix. It's a breath of fresh air where you don't have to worry about people making up stuff about you <laughs> running for yeah. office, you know, or, you know, it's just a, such an ugly process. And I think really in the end, uh, which happened yesterday, for instance, um, I did two interviews with Fox Television in Phoenix and Fox in um, San Diego. And I, and I, you know, I, it's not a political thing at all, but, but there was an article and a series of um, interviews on CBD and cannabis finally being funded by the NFL and Players Association to see if we can reduce pain issues that all football players deal with. I mean, as a kicker, I've got four joint replacements. Mm. Uh, so imagine how hard it is for people like Art Still and Bill Moss and you know, all the different people that played. I mean, when you, we, even when we didn't play sports, I bet you you've had your share of challenges. Uh, we all do. But, um, but, but to me, uh, as one example, when a, a TV station interviews somebody like myself to talk about cannabis and, and particularly CBD and, and how it really can help with protecting against concussions and helping your joints and having witnessed this now with 230 athletes that we've gotten on CBD and all of them had better sleep, all of them, their joints were improved. Uh, when you get TV to cover that, that's saying something's important and yeah. that's more important to me than you know, being on the floor of the Senate or the House where you don't even know if your message ever gets out there anyway. So it's a long answer because I think leadership, though, everybody wants a better world. And I don't think the answers are in the parties anymore. I think the answers always have been in a democracy, uh, but really in humanity, where we each do our part, whether you're David Smale or Nick Lowry or or our buddy Tim Grunhart, whoever you are, we all can do good things and we can point and get people to tell stories about the things that matter, make them important, give them a human face, and that's where good things happen. And I, I appreciate that response, Nick. Um, I, that being said, I think you would have made a good politician because of your personality. One time 
I was asked to write a preview for an upcoming Chiefs game. And I was in the locker room midweek trying to figure out who I'd interview. And I was just kind of standing there looking around. And you walked up to me and said, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> so you've got an outgoing personality, which I think would, would suit a politician well. But if you were appointed president, since you're not going to run, somebody says, okay, you're president. <laughs> would your platform uh-huh. be the day after the Super Bowl is a national holiday? Or do you have something more important than that? <laughs> oh, gosh. My platform would be, number one, that the Food and Drug Administration would not exist anymore, that we'd have a food administration, and then we have a completely independent drug administration so that the big pharma wouldn't be uh, compromising and corrupting all the other answers that have to do with the natural immunity, the natural health systems of the body, so they could compete with each other as opposed to the unfortunate situation now, which was the subject of that story that uh, was on Fox here in Phoenix last night, uh, my interview, because, you know, uh, the choices that we get with Big Pharma with opioids is ruining generations of athletes and kids where they're addicted literally because of opioids, they're addicted to addictive responses. And so when we raise our kids, one of the main things that kids should be equipped with is the ability to think creatively and critically and independently be able to separate good information from bad. But it's pretty hard if your brain is always looking for the quick fix. So throw into the mix then a phone, which uh, is often designed with all those little pings to be just like operant conditioning, just like the the bell conditioning of of Psych 101 at K-State where you went, uh, you know, uh, or Dartmouth where I went, you know, psychology is now in a daily role in our our lives because we're conditioned to think quickly and need quick responses and that's not how you make good decisions so i would say uh again a long-winded response (laughs) that as president that would be the first thing i'd do uh and the second thing i'd do would be term limits uh so that people like fauci uh can be around maybe for 15 years but just like j edgar hoover um, who was around for 40 years, if you're around too long, uh, you begin to create a castle around you. Yeah. And we need to have, uh, not that Fauci hasn't done good things, but when people have too much power, as they say, absolute power create, corrupts. And maybe the third thing would be money again, taking money out of the po- political campaigns uh, so that we could get back to spending money on what really matters and not allow dark money and hidden money and, and anonymous money to uh, from big corporations that have major agendas only about themselves so that leaders can be leaders, that they aren't, you know, unfortunately pressured into a position that really has nothing to do with what would solve a problem. I want to talk a little bit about your career. I realize you're, you're crunched on time a bit. Let's talk sports. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Tim Grunhardt told me a story about the Chiefs getting ready for a playoff game in Buffalo. And he said, Marty Schottenheimer, had the team roll up socks and throw them at you as you kicked to prepare you for the Bills fans throwing snowballs. <laughs> Were you easily rattled as a kicker? Um, well, I'll tell you what, during practice, uh, having uh, things ro- rolled up that actually were pretty hard was not very fun. Uh, <laughs> but no, I don't think I was easily rattled. In fact, uh, when people ask me what you should do uh, to prepare for a timeout, I always tell them, whether you're Harrison Butker or anybody else, don't stand in the middle of the field. Take control of it. Run into the sidelines. Kick into the net, et cetera. So my answer would be, if you're a good kicker, which I was, 
um, you're not easily rattled. And if you're a bad kicker, you are. So yeah. I, I like to think that uh, for the most part, my record stands for it by itself. So you, you made 80% of your kicks back when that was unheard of. How did you get so good at it? Well, actually, what's kind of cool is Kansas City Star Magazine did a story when I was 34. And when you turn 30, uh, you start getting lots of questions from media saying you're getting older, you're getting older. And the, and the cover of Kansas City Star Magazine was uh, Nick Lowry's one of the greatest kickers in NFL history. But at 34, is time running out. And that was 1990. And I led the NFL in, in scoring, uh, set a team record for most field goals, uh, 34 for 37, 24 field goals in a row. And I ended up kicking 87% in the 90s, kicking off the 90s, so to speak, uh, which even today would be pretty, pretty significant. Um, and that back then, we only had five dome stadiums versus 18 now. And sort of like if you're a golfer, you're always kicking out of the, the fairway as opposed to kicking out of the rough. So um, I think we did pretty well back then. The previous record was Ralph Benerska at 74%. I took it up to 80%. And the kickers today are even better. But as Jan Stenner had said to me, uh, when you look at the footballs, another part of what's happening that's an untold story, people joke about Deflategate, but the truth is that quarterbacks can break in their, their game balls. They can practice with them during the week so that they have them just right for their little quarterbacks. So they can hold them really nice and it really works for them. So little Tom Brady can get it just right. And Joe Montana has his. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm joking, but the truth is with kickers, you never could, right? So now for about seven years, the balls are broken in. And Stenard said to me, Nick, you need to, you need to tell people about that. I'm like, Jan, you're already in the Hall of Fame. I think you, you'd probably be a pretty good advocate. And if you look at the statistics, David, the uh, net punt was 35 yards about eight years ago, the, be the, the average net punt, and now it's about 40. Yeah. And it, it didn't go up gradually. It went up immediately. So uh, kickoffs that would go to the goal line now go six, seven yards deep. So um, when you're back there, just imagine the analogy of golf, that you know you're going to hit it 300 yards, so you don't even have to try hard. You don't try to kill it, as opposed to you normally hit it 240 yards, right? And so the same premise is true. Look at the kickers now. Their percentages at 50 yards are extraordinary. The kicker for, for uh, Cincinnati, right? Amazing yeah. in the playoffs. And the kickers are absolutely better, but they're not that much better. And, and that's because of the footballs being broken in. So I'm proud of what, what we did to raise the standard of the, of the game. I'm proud that in the 90s, I was kicking 87%. No one in the NFL was kicking above 80%, and I was at 87%. And, um, and then today they're even better. The training's better. Um, the, the talent's probably a little better, but most importantly, I think just, uh, you know, all the different things complement with the, with the footballs being broken in and stadiums in the fields being in such great shape. Uh, and you'll see that in the Super Bowl. Um, Harrison Butker kicked two 58 yarders. He's an extraordinary kicker. He's a great kicker. And I stay away from him. I don't try to coach him. <laughs> he's already, I don't want to mess him up. <laughs> I w uh, he's, he's really pretty darn good. And he kicked those 258 yarders in that same stadium, the SoFi Stadium, where the Super Bowl is going to be played. There's no wind, perfect uh, environment to kick. So uh, that's, that's the way it is today. But that, and that makes the fact that you also have the team record at 58 yards even more remarkable because you did it in worse conditions with a ball that's harder to kick. 
Well, I'm proud of that. Um, my 58 yarder against the Redskins, the world champion Redskins in RFK stadium is was stands as the longest field goal ever at RFK stadium and the longest field goal still ever in the history of the national football league in the first quarter. That was way back in 1983, 40, almost 40 years ago. Wow. And then I hit another one on Thursday night that was really 59 yards. If you watch the video, it was Thursday night, second game of the season against the Raiders, Thursday night game in September of 1985. And I had five field goals in that game. And uh, Todd Christensen, the late, great Todd Christensen, uh, said it was the longest kick he'd ever seen because remember the wind was left to right, David, and I aimed at the left upright. And if you watch it, it curves left to right rather than the normal right to left for a right-footed kicker. Mm-hmm. And it hits at the top of the net. And what happened was um, George Toma, the greatest land, uh, groundskeeper in the history of the NFL, everybody would agree. Yes. It was the guy they hired. And probably, I think he does it this week too. Yes. They hire to make sure the field's perfect. And here yeah. he is 90 something years old. And what a wonderful human being he is. Yeah. Um, but the, the center arrowhead back then covered the hash marks. So if you look at well, the ball's place, it really is 59 yards, which would have just added one more yard, which uh, <laughs> us competitive SOBs, we like to get every inch we can. Yeah. But anyway, um, I'm proud of that, that that record stood for almost 40 years. It's a long time. And, um, you know, Harrison's going to break it but it's lasted a nice long time and I'm proud. Uh, he's just got a beautiful swing. He's, he's tough mentally and uh, the chiefs are lucky to have him. And he's, he, as I watch him, I think of you because unlike a lot of kickers who are small, he's a tall, lanky guy. And I, I see similarities in your styles. Well, I had a good stroke too. I had a good follow through, et cetera. And, and he's, uh, he's a great kickoff man as well. He's a man of faith and a genuine faith. He really walks his talk. And um, I think really another part of the dialogue of being great in anything is growing through the appetites, the youthful appetites of the, of the ego, if you will, versus growing spiritually. And uh, I think he's old for his, he's an old soul. Mm-hmm. And those things help you uh, manage your, the fame and the attention and the, and the temptations you have. If I was to say and make a comment without you asking me anyway, what I think the challenge is for Patrick Mahomes, who everybody loves because he is the real deal, is that I think having a kid and, and not being married yet and all this pressure and the biggest contract ever, um, his agent is Lee Steinberg, mine was Lee Steinberg. It's just to keep growing and maturing. Yeah. And, um, the, and, and the team needs to surround him with good people too, but he's got to grow as we all do in, um, you know, not letting the ego thinking I've got it, even if it's just a subtle message to constantly love, to be hungry, to get better. If I would, if we all watched that last game, there was a different Patrick Mahomes in the first quarter and the first half until that last, you know, goal line stand that Cincinnati stopped us at the end of the half. And from that point on, there was a completely different, almost personality shift in him. Yeah. And that, that worries me. That worries me because the team relies on his leadership. I think the play calling, uh, according to Jeff Christensen, who's coached uh, Patrick, who was in the suite with me, when we were watching on Sunday, a week and a half ago. I think the coaching, um, the play calling went to a lot of run pass options, which we didn't have to do at all in the first half. Mm-hmm. And um, 
it just seems sometimes coaches maybe try to overthink things. Whatever happened, we lost our mojo. Yeah. And uh, that, I mean, here we had a first down on the five-yard line, five yards away from the Super Bowl. And the body language of Patrick and the team was almost like we were down by three touchdowns. Yeah. It was very strange. And then in overtime, he threw one pass away. And then his last pass was, gosh, five yards off target. It was, I mean, I'm sure there must have been some miscommunication with the receiver, but that's not the Patrick Mahomes. It's, you know, some say, and all of us have thought maybe the greatest kicker we've, you know, excuse me, greatest quarterback we've ever seen, you know, the, just the most talented, multi-talented, unstoppable, creative, physically gifted, and also just mature way beyond his years. So hopefully, uh, you know, this year is uh, really, even then, going to the AFC Championship game five yards away from the Super Bowl, uh, and yet we don't feel, because we aren't in the Super Bowl, that it was a great success. So hopefully that will motivate this team to find a way to keep getting better, even as they're aging as a team. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I agree with you a little. It was a little concerning to watch Patrick I actually had his his dad on the podcast recently, and he talked about how grounded Patrick is. So I'm not I'm not worried long term. It's frustrating, but I'm not worried long term. I want to change gears here, and I'm going to wrap things up fairly quick. You graduated from Dartmouth. You got your master's degree from Harvard. You might be the smartest guest I've ever had on my podcast, and we know that that's not Grunhard. <laughs> how smart are you? <laughs> you know what? First of all, I'm smart enough to know that Tim Grunhardt is every bit as smart as me. He's got common sense. He's, uh, and, and speaking of growing, I mean, look at Tim being, you know, such a brash, bold guy. And he would take his shots at me and everybody in his the glory days while we're playing. But we, you know, we begin to, to notice what really matters. He's a tremendous coach. He's a very good speaker. And, uh, you know, life humbles us, hopefully. And we begin to notice how we can help other people, inspire other people. So, uh, you know, the second somebody says uh, what happens when you say you went to Harvard is automatically you're an instant, you know what, and and I don't want to be that. So, you know, the idea is not just book smart. The idea is always to be wise. And there's a big difference. Yeah. So as we wrap things up before I have a couple of personal questions for you, that you had, you've made a successful career after football, public speaking, and now you're involved in some, in some other businesses. Uh, just talk about those. Well, thank you. Well, you know, you're a K-Stater. I'm going to be on with Dan Minucci, former quarterback at K-State, in about two hours, hour and a half, actually. And uh, I am working with Jim Bob Morris, who played at K-State in Coffeyville before that. And I'm so proud of him. And Jim grew up without parents by the age of 11 and, uh, you know, didn't have the stable parents that I grew up with. And yet he has manufactured, created uh, a remarkable small empire with Morris Packaging uh, at K-State, the Morris Family Foundation Cultural Diversity Center, which is just visionary to me my, with my work with American Indians. And he's uh, has American Indian blood. Uh, you know, I, I love that effort. That's where the juice is for me. That's like way over on another part of the spectrum away from football is, you know, it, look at everybody now and the divisiveness in the media today. I love the idea of, you know, cultural diversity, not just, you know, one race is great or one race has had it all done to them. No, we all have to come together and, yeah. and learn about each other and see each other as unique individuals, not as just a race. 
And um, so I'm proud of him for that. And, and, and so he's having some fun and I'm brand ambassador for this amazing new tequila called El Bandito Yankee Tequila, which is named, uh, if you think of that last image of the Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid movie where they're hiding behind the rocks and Robert Redford and Paul Newman know it's probably the end and they're being pursued by the Bolivian army and uh, they could hear the, the posse going, uh, sorry, somebody's at the front door. Uh, they're, they're, they can hear the Bolivian army going, El bandito Yankee! El bandito Yankee! <laughs> and, uh, and so it's an awesome, awesome tequila. And I'm excited to help uh, bring it. It's done the old style way. And uh, we're all over. I'm brand ambassador for Missouri. And we're going to bring it to Missouri more and more over the next few months. And it's wonderful to work with him. And one thing he does, we're going to build a soccer field for the people in Jalisco and Tequila down there near Guadalajara in the best area for the best tequila in the world. And uh, there are no additives. So that's awesome. I'm really enjoying that. And as I mentioned earlier, I've been working on CBD and cannabis as an option. Uh, KLS 13019 is a molecule that we've developed at a company called Neuropathics, which ends opioid addiction. So anybody out there, that wants to learn more about that, go to Neuropathics, N-E-U-R-O-P-A-T-H-I-X, neuropathics.com. And uh, you can see what we're doing and we can end this horrible pandemic uh, that's connected to pain. And of course, veterans and and NFL players know all about that. And by the way, uh, Grunny is uh, really big into the CBD stuff as well. Uh, And just as an aside, he and I are releasing a book this fall on on the it's called uh the view from the center how the chief's kingdom was rebuilt so that'll be out this fall uh i like to wrap things up with with my guest talk about your family you mentioned the the importance of your your parents uh, you have wife kids just talk about your family um my family thank you well i have a twin sister and i have um Two, uh, I had two twin brothers. One of them unfortunately passed away June 1st. But um, my family's, uh, you know, we've grown up with parents that really loved us and were highly educated. Dad was a Fulbright scholar. Mom was uh, in the first full class of women at Oxford. And um, they were devoted to our education. We weren't rich financially. We were rich in terms of education. And then think about this, David, growing up next door, Next door, not two doors down in my life, next door to Justice Byron Wizard White, who the same year he finished number one at Yale Law School, he led the National Football League in rushing. And then he was very close friends with Bobby and John Kennedy and helped run the Justice Department, helped commandeer the, um, the buses that led the marshals, uh, excuse me, with the U.S. Marshals that protected the civil rights marches marchers into Selma, Alabama. So um, it's, uh, I've been very lucky to have those kind of people inspire me to think, what can I do? And everybody can do something, you know, everybody, whether it's just a, a parent that helps their child have a little bit more time to feel good about themselves and connect to a, a richer purpose in their lives. So the uh, Champions for the Homeless is my biggest uh, passion in our foundation. We made uh, the homeless, literally um, the first in the country in Phoenix to be able to be tested for free for COVID. Mm. 
and um, that was last year in April. So lots of good things out there. And, um, you know, Kansas City, I will say, as Tim knows, really has a heart. It's the heart of America for a reason. The people there really get philanthropy. They really get community service. They really get giving back. And um, I was taught that by the Chiefs organization, our crime card program, my kick with Dick program. And, uh, and then you can just see all the different things that Patrick does, that Derek Thomas did, that Albert Lewis did, that Deron Cherry did, and on and on and on. Always, um, well, Travis Kelsey. I mean, always doing good things. And that keeps your life in balance. Yeah. All right. You've done so much. That's a great transition to my last question. You have done so much. You've accomplished so much. So you've got a different perspective. When I ask a lot of people, I ask everybody the same question. You can come at it from a different angle. What's your legacy? Well, I, I gave a speech um, two days ago in Las Vegas to IGT, which is the uh, number one gaming technology company in the world. And um, that speech is from my core, which is, you know, we can get caught up in, in the challenges of life and, and never giving up is just the lesson of my life, right? To not give up because if I not tried that one last time with Kansas City, I would never have made it and would not have had an 18-year career. So the first thing is never giving up, but then it's doing something with that. It's doing something with your success that embraces and harnesses all of the wisdom, most of which came from missed field goals, most of which came from rejections, and doing something with it to make a contribution that really lasts. And that's what makes America great. And that's what's going to allow us and what gives me hope that this horrible era of bad information and divisive messaging is going to dissipate and begin to disappear because true leaders bring people together and they uh, honor truth. They honor accuracy and they model it with what they do, not what they say. Great answer, my friend. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much for carving the time out and good to connect with you and we'll touch base soon. All right. I'm glad I worked out. Thanks, David. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.